Hello, it's Thursday 16th of June. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowman and I will be discussing the outlook for travel in the greater Mekong region with our special guest, Cathy Jaumier Hamal, CEO of Destination Mekong. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, we are dipping our toes into travel in the greater Mekong region, which comprises Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Vietnam, and a part of China. This has special resonance for Hannah and I, as we are both members of the Mekong Tourism Advisory Group. So to guide us through this emerging new era in the region, we're delighted to welcome our special guest, Kathy Jamier Hamel, who is the CEO of Destination Mekong and a passionate advocate of sustainable tourism development. She spent several years working in various travel and tourism roles in South Korea and is now based in Cambodia. So Kathy, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are things in Phnom Penh today? Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Gary, for uh, welcoming me in your uh, podcast. I'm really honored. And uh, Hannah, to um, reply to your question, I would say there is a sense of uh, almost normality in Phnom Penh. And, you know, I call Phnom Penh home now, so I'm no longer a traveler or visitor. So I can, you know, tell you that, uh, yes, in Phnom Penh is uh, uh, getting prepared, you know, to restart the travel. So there is this kind of... Uh, normality but at the same time i can feel the excitement that i can see you know in many restaurants that they are hiring staff uh, these days so i can definitely feel that something big is coming that's that's great to hear kathy you uh you referenced there that cambodia is now your home but let's talk a little bit about your background you grew up and you studied in france but with eurasian heritage did you always feel a sort of emotional link between europe and asia and did this inspire your career in travel? Yes, definitely a very strong uh, family link first because, you know, uh, I was born Eurasian and uh, this is how my parents told me, uh, qualified me, uh, you know, Catherine, you are Eurasian. And uh, I would say that at the beginning, the emotion was not that good because when you are a child, you want to be a part of something that is clear, you know, either you're European or Asian. Many times even people ask me, oh, Catherine, you say uh, you're Eurasian. Is it your father or your mother was uh, from Asia? I say, you know, my father was born in Vietnam. My mother was born in Phnom Penh. But both of them are half Vietnamese, half French. I say, oh, then your grandparents say, no, uh, all my grandparents are half French, half Vietnamese. You need to go back to uh, my great-grandmothers, all Vietnamese, and my great-grandfathers, all uh, French. And for me, the main connection was food, uh, because we had a lot of Asian food uh, at home, uh, Vietnamese food, and also the fact that uh, my family has a lot of storytellers. Uh, so my grandmothers were talking about their life in uh, Vietnam and uh, Cambodia. It was really uh, almost unreal for me. So I would say it really led me to create my own story. Probably that's why I really wanted to travel, to build my own story and not to be um, so much burdened by the family heritage. And I would say I was mostly attracted by uh, Americans, uh, Latin America. So I decided to put Asia a little, you know, uh, back uh, in my head. So, yeah, the the connection, the emotional connection was more like a sensorial connection, I would say. I was uh, 
filling Asia, filling my uh, Eurasian uh, background, mostly through the food, the stories, the smells, the pictures. I love that. I think you've created a really uh, visceral picture of how how you you, know, you you view your heritage. You were relocated from France to Seoul, South Korea in 2005. What inspired that decision? I'll move halfway across the world. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not actually inspiration. I would call it more like uh, opportunity because um, I had met uh, my husband very recently and he told me, Catherine, uh, I love Southeast Asia and it seems that you never traveled there and you have no interest in uh, your roots. So uh, why are you not willing to go to Asia? Let's go together. So I got this position at the French embassy uh, in Seoul. And I just told myself, okay, my life is a story of opportunity. So why not? Let's go there. But to be honest, I didn't know anything about Korea at that time, not even South or North Korea. Uh, So for me, it was like an adventure, mostly. So I just say, okay, I'm following you. And, you know, at that time, we had this uh, word or this expression, trailing spores, and I didn't like Um, this expression at all because uh, for me it was not like I'm following him I'm basically part of his uh, adventure we are going together so instead of inspiration was more like okay life is offering me this opportunity marketing is the strong part of my life Uh, so it's all a matter of having your own SWOT analysis you know strengths opportunities uh, uh, challenges and uh, weaknesses, and uh, basically my uh, my life story is about transforming uh, you know uh, challenges into opportunities and uh, catching any kind of opportunities, uh, yeah, to make your life uh, meaningful. You know, I read somewhere I'll make your life a masterpiece. I'm not, I don't think my life is a masterpiece, but uh, at least you know I try to always have a positive approach uh, when I receive uh, opportunities. You mentioned there that marketing is a part of your life. And while you were in Seoul, you actually spent some time as the F&B marketing manager at Novotel in Gangnam. Now, that's never an easy role, F&B marketing manager. What did you learn from that experience and how has it helped you in your career? I have to mention that at that time when I was at uh, Novotel, it was um, in 2008. So in the middle of the financial crisis. And at that time, the most important, the most crucial goal for uh, F&B and for the hotel was to uh, survive and to increase the, the revenues and income. And uh, I was lucky at that time uh, that um, my position was almost uh, created for me uh, because before when I enter, uh, when I, my first year in Korea, I studied a, a wine club because I didn't get a job immediately. So I, I was a wine lover, I'm still. <laughs> And I just thought that uh, the marketing opportunities uh, offered by the market of wine in Korea were, were big. And this is how I approach uh, Nortel and told them, okay, I really want to work for you, not only uh, for F&B, but also because I believe you have a sustainability approach. But I was very challenging, of course, at that time. And they told me, you know, Catherine, be creative, just do whatever you want. We need, uh, you know, something different. We need something, you know, exciting and engaging. So I just created events, new events, because, you know, F&B, sometimes it's a little uh, routine. You have the promotion, on, uh, I don't know, persimmon promotion, 
fugu fish promotion, strawberry promotion, and uh, it's all the same. But at that time, I just say, okay, let's have a pink party uh, with pink wine and uh, rosy wine and uh, pink food, and uh, let's have a white party. I think it was very uh, about colors, but not only that, you know, it was also the year of the pig. So we decided to do something with fortune tellers. And, uh, but the thing is that what I really realize is that when you don't enjoy uh, your job, you cannot make your guests happy. So I was always constantly telling people, you know, don't give people a fake smile. Make them happy, make them uh, excited. You are the host. You know, you are, uh, your main mission is to make your guests happy. Try to scratch your head and think about more about about how you can, you know, make their experiences as, um, you know, fulfilling as possible. So what it taught me is that, yes, you know, uh, the people working in the front office, they have a very crucial role. Uh, and of course, back office is supposed to support them. So, yes, that was a very uh, interesting experience in the art of hospitality. You know, many times we talk about travel and tourism, but hospitality is really uh, almost uh, sacred. And uh, hospitality is something that is very strong in Asia. Uh, I'm not saying that other countries are not uh, hospitable, but uh, uh, this is part of the branding of um, Asia, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And you mentioned just then that one of your motivations for working for the Novotel was their focus on sustainability. Um, And that leads quite neatly to my next question. Um, So after Novotel, you spent six years working as the director of global programs for the UNWTO with a focus on sustainable tourism. Tell us more about that role and how much of that work was focused in Asia Pacific and Southeast Asia. Thank you for the question. You know, uh, it's actually, again, uh, an opportunity in my life because when I arrived in uh, October 2005, in Korea, I just Googled sustainable tourism Korea, and I was pretty sure I wouldn't find anything. But at that time, I found uh, sustainable tourism for eliminating poverty foundation is soon to be established in Korea. Uh, and we just know it cannot be. <laughs> so I, um, I met a person who was a um, uh, an American guy who was working for, for the STEP Foundation at that time. And the STEP Foundation was actually established under the STEP initiative of the World Tourism Organization, uh, who decided, which decided to uh, establish the foundation in Korea, uh, not by chance, but at that time, Korea was really willing you know, to raise uh, its profile uh, as a tourism destination uh, uh, as a global tourism destination, and they really uh, pushed hard uh, to have the foundation hosted in um, Seoul. So in 2005, I approached uh, the STEP Foundation. They said, you know, we will be officially declared in December 2005 at the UNWTO General Assembly, so it's too early. We don't have a job for you right now. So when I was at Novotel, I approached them again. I said, you know, um, I'm working for this uh, ACO group really into uh, uh, sustainability. Why don't we have a partnership? Because that was part also of my background, uh, partnership development, business development, uh, cooperation. I've been working before for 10 years uh, for a water company and working exclusively in uh, developing countries for uh, public services of water, sanitation, waste, and etc. So for me, it was natural 
uh, also that um, you know those developing countries were also tourism destinations. So it was natural to work to continue to work for uh, supporting developing countries, and that was the mission of the Step Foundation. You know, sustainable tourism for eliminating poverty. At that time, it was to support the achievement of the Millennium Development Goals. And that was totally part of my uh, DNA because at the end of the day, for me, tourism was a tool and still to achieve uh, the um, sustainable um, development, not an industry itself. I always wanted to work in a hotel, in tourism, but at the end of the day, it was also to support the local communities. So as part of our project, we supported financially a lot of projects in sub-Saharan Africa because um, that was a place where the um, tourism dollar was most needed. But we also uh, had many projects in uh, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, of course, uh, a community-based tourism project. And uh, the foundation was uh, also in charge of raising awareness and sustainability organizing um, events and also uh, doing a lot of activities in the field of uh, training, capacity building, upgrading the skills of uh, those um, people working in tourism. We also had education project because that was uh, actually most important. You know, you cannot develop a tourism destination if people uh, don't have the um, basic education, you know, even uh, what we call literacy. We had a lot of projects in uh, those developing countries uh, in uh, Southeast Asia, but at the same time, uh, emerging destinations or developed destinations were not part of a portfolio. So it means that, for example, we didn't have a project in Thailand. However, the STEP Foundation was working a lot with Korea Tourism Organization and the Korean Ministry of Tourism, and we received a lot of uh, students, um, government officials from um, all countries from Southeast Asia, um, to um, train them to upgrade their capacity, uh, for example, in uh, digital um, learning or for um, branding, for marketing. So this is how I also became a trainer and a lecturer for uh, not only for um, branding and marketing, but also for sustainable tourism development and marketing. So let's talk a little bit more about South Korea. You have such close links there. You re- you've retained those, Cathy. What's happening there in terms of the outbound market? Because before the pandemic, South Korea was a really important source market into the, uh, the greater Mekong area. In, into Southeast Asia in general. What, what interest are you seeing from Koreans to travel into the region right now? Or you know, is there more interest for Europe and the US at the moment? What's the balance? I would say you know, the story of Korea, the story of tourism in Korea is not um, very old. You know, Korea started really to travel and to receive travelers, uh, um, I mean, inbound travelers uh, and uh, Korea traveling uh, uh, outbound uh, 1988 when uh, there was the Summer Olympics uh, hosted in Seoul in Korea but at the same time that was the beginning uh, of a new era for democracy in Korea because before nobody could go outside and nobody could enter Korea except you know uh, diplomats or uh, students so at the beginning Korean traveling uh, outside Korea, it was mostly, as you can imagine, focusing on um, Asia, China, Japan, and then Southeast Asia, you know, 
short haul and uh, mid haul uh, travel and mostly groups because it was also Korean people um, going outside their comfort zone and exploring the world. So at the beginning, you don't want you know, to go uh, immediately to uh, unknown uh, territories. But also there is something important to mention is the Korean diaspora uh, in Canada, in Australia, in France also, uh, because there were a lot of students, uh, Korean students, after uh, studying in, in France, which is the, the first destination for studies in Europe. And little by little, uh, Korean uh, travelers became more confident, but uh, still, you know, um, there are groups, and, but um, more and more FIT. And the motivation to go to Europe, Europe was um, something like less than 10% of the travels abroad. It was more like uh, there was a strong aspiration for Europe. Uh, it was once in a lifetime trip, you know, with people traveling in uh, 10 countries in eight days. Maybe that was the only time in their lives they, they would go to Europe. But for them, there was, uh, it was a question of status. It was part of also of the sophistication of the, uh, the society in Korea, because Korea in the 60s was one of the most, uh, one of the poorest countries in the world. No, it, so I would say, to answer your question, there was always a strong aspiration to travel. I would say uh, many Koreans are not happy in their own country. Uh, they didn't have a lot of vacation. You know? uh, it was always hard working. And uh, when you only have one week or even, in theory, two weeks to travel, you, you can't afford you know, to, to make a mistake. You, know? uh, you have to make your travel uh, useful and fulfilling. And um, still, Korea is a very competitive uh, country. Uh, people are not necessarily happy. Uh, they are overstressed, and uh, especially the young people. So for them, traveling is really uh, on the top of the, their wish list. So I would say, unfortunately, because of COVID, it had to stop. And it created uh, even more frustration. You know? uh, we didn't have any lockdown in Korea, so that's good. But uh, all activities that could help them release their stress were no, uh, not accessible. So I would say Korea will definitely travel back, and even more than before, I would say. Uh, there is this, uh, still this strong aspiration. But the problem is before was uh, the quarantine. Now there is no more quarantine. The Korea is ready to travel back and not necessarily to Europe, but at the same time, I would say the trends showed before that uh, there was, again, this strong willingness to travel to Europe because it was more exotic. And something I would like to highlight is that Korean people, they don't want to travel to meet Korean people uh, at the destination. They want to feel free, they want to feel uh, independent. So uh, sometimes some uh, Korean friends told me, Catherine, why would I travel in a destination where I can see so many uh, Korean uh, people in groups and uh, I don't want uh, to, to meet them. It was for a marketing study for uh, New Caledonia. And at that time, uh, we interviewed you know, people, uh, travelers and also the travel industry. And uh, Korean people at that time say, oh, you know, I love New Caledonia, not only because of, the, you know, the, the dramas that made them discover the destination, but because I'm, I am sure I will not bump into Korean groups. <laughs> the travel market is uh, more and more sophisticated, and we need uh, to develop new products and experiences for this new 
uh, needs and expectations from the, the current market. Uh, there are definitely uh, many different segments and we cannot approach them uh, the same way. Thanks. I, I think you gave a really great overview then of, of how far I think the Korean outbound market has come. So let's bring it up to present day then. And um, you are now the recently appointed CEO of Destination Mekong. Congrats. What inspired you to take that role? Oh, I would say many things, you know, and I think it's also part of my um, personal story. I always wanted to live in uh, Southeast Asia, not being only a tourist. I really wanted to reconnect with my roots, uh, part of my roots. And um, I wanted uh, also to give back to these roots uh, in some way, you know. Whenever I travel to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, I was feeling, you know, that was part of the the culture. And um, Vietnamese people called me uh, sister, Cambodian too. And I just thought, wow, it's really interesting that even if I tell them I'm French, they can feel, you know, I have, of course, physically, I'm uh, not blonde uh, with blue eyes, so uh, <laughs> I look more Asian. But for me, it was really an opportunity also to put uh, my feet on the ground. Because um, uh, even if the step foundation brought me a lot of uh, knowledge and understanding of uh, you know the situation in terms of uh, sustainable tourism development and marketing, uh, the the need to um, for capacity building and everything, it was basically theory. You know, most of the time uh, uh, we didn't assess the project. We were just like uh, uh, reading project proposals and uh, selecting uh, those uh, projects that would benefit from the funding. Um, we attended some events uh, uh, in Japan, in Korea, or even in, uh, in Cambodia, but I really wanted you know, to be as close as possible to the um, local communities, because for me, they are uh, at the center of the, the travel experience. And because you know, after all the literature, uh, I read about uh, community-based tourism. Uh, I was feeling that uh, there was something wrong, you know, that uh, most uh, revenue or income from tourism were not going uh, to the pocket of the local communities. So when Jens uh, introduced Jens Renat, you know, the former uh, executive director of MTCO and the founder of Destination Mekong, when you approached me and uh, suggested that I could be the CEO of Destination Mekong. From the very beginning, I told him, I mean, he said, okay, Catherine, you don't know everything, so it's challenging. And I said, you know, I love challenges. I came uh, to the point in my life where I feel a little bored, a little, uh, you know, I'm over 50, so at some point, you know, you need a, a new excitement, you need to, and with this COVID situation, uh, I was just like, uh, I'm getting crazy. I need to do something on the ground. And the idea, actually, in uh, February 2020, when I visited uh, Vietnam, was to relocate to Vietnam. And that was the beginning of COVID. Everybody was telling people, okay, it won't last just three months, be patient and everything. And it lasted, as you know, over two years. So um, we discussed uh, with Jens, it was, uh, remember, in uh, June uh, last year, and I was just like, Jens, I mean, I want to be part of it and uh, whatever the challenge is, and uh, I'm super excited. I want to go to Phnom Penh. I want to live there. And uh, this is how the story started. 
So, Catherine, that's, that's the inspiration for the reason you took the job. People around the world may not know too much about Destination Mekong. As I mentioned in the intro, it does incorporate six different countries. So can you tell us a little bit how the organization works and what are its objectives for the future? Yeah, the, so the organization works as the private sector counterpart of uh, the initiative Mekong Tourism Coordinating Office, uh, which is uh, federating uh, uh, the six ministry of tourism uh, of uh, the six countries of the greater Mekong sub-region. And Jens decided to create this uh, public sector counterpart. So basically, we are bridging the public sector with the private sector. We are bridging the academia with uh, the practitioner. And I would say, for me, it's very important to, to highlight that the, the main purpose of uh, Destination Mekong is to champion uh, the greater Mekong sub-region as a leading, attractive, sustainable tourism destination, creating impact, value, and opportunities for all. So this is really something that we want to do, is to build projects, solutions, and initiatives that uh, link you know, the public sector and the private sector, as I mentioned, to act on, because we are a destination management or marketing organization, a regional DMO, as we say, so we need also to uh, promote cooperation between uh, the countries to promote diversification of the product and experience, uh, experiences, differentiation. We are working on the brand positioning of the Mekong region uh, to make it outstanding, attractive. And basically, we are also working a lot uh, in the area of capacity building because this is also uh, something that is uh, of utmost importance. You know, we know that the human capital in uh, the Mekong countries is very strong, but we need to rebuild their capacity to uh, host guests and to make them uh, happy. So branding, marketing, content creation and dissemination. So basically, we are uh, working to increase the value of the destination and to make his branding very strong and uh, attractive. So this week, I understand that you spent some time together with the Ministry of Tourism in Cambodia discussing the next steps for Destination Mekong. Can you share with us a little bit about what you discussed in that meeting? Yes, absolutely, because uh, the Ministry of Tourism of Cambodia offered to host Destination Mekong in uh, Phnom Penh, in their offices. So we really appreciate uh, this uh, support and uh, this willingness, you know, to uh, support our efforts and uh, to highlight the, the activities and solutions of uh, Destination Mekong. We will uh, promote projects in Cambodia as a pilot country because definitely we cannot be everywhere. Uh, we have an executive team and we are all disseminating in the world. And what we discussed with the uh, Ministry of Tourism is the next step you know, to make our uh, uh, collaboration uh, fruitful and real. So first, we will incorporate uh, Destination Mekong in Cambodia as a non-profit uh, because right now we are incorporated in Singapore. That's a choice because we wanted also to be in a location independent of the, the six countries. Then we will sign a MOU with the Ministry of Tourism of Cambodia, but we already talk about some projects we can start as a model for other countries and uh, as a pilot project in Cambodia, for example, the Mekong Discovery Center, which are a smart 
eco-friendly, multi-purpose and multi-branded uh, visitor centers that will also be uh, centers for uh, training and capacity building. And that would be a flagship project that we want to start in Cambodia, but that would be scaled up in a other region of uh, the Mekong. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Catherine, this is a very, very interesting time to be pushing forward with Destination Mekong after what's happened with, with COVID and the, sort of the two-year reset that we have here. What do you see as some of the key opportunities for the GMS destinations to, to sort of redefine their tourism strategies as they move forward? Yes, definitely. I would say this region has always been considered primarily as a as destination for leisure, uh, which is good, which is fine, but we also uh, think that they can be also interesting destination for business tourism. When we talk about destination, it's not only for tourism, but also for investment. Uh, I believe many countries are interested in uh, investing in the Mekong region. And also, I would say MICE tourism can be also uh, uh, an avenue you know, to be developed. I know that uh, Thailand, for example, is already very strong uh, for mice, but I would like also to promote a different approach of mice in uh, uh, the other countries uh, because we also have this concept of leisure, you know, business plus leisure. This is something we also want to, uh, to promote. Uh, digital nomad, uh, of course, we need also to uh, improve the infrastructure, the accessibility, and also when I talk about accessibility is also airlines. Uh, it should be, you know, definitely uh, come back to cheaper prices, but that's another story. Well-being for me is very important because uh, especially uh, in the aftermath of COVID, we are still in COVID, but uh, people want uh, to feel good. They want, you know, to... Uh, to feel better, they want to boost their immunity, they want uh, uh, something also off the beaten track, outdoor, they want authentic, they want, uh, and um, I want to promote the authenticity, diversity of the Mekong region, uh, those experiences that are still unexplored, uh, especially also community-based tourism, uh, we need to build a new model that is uh, more uh, fit for the 21st century, a new smart model of um, uh, community-based tourism. And, you know, all the studies show that uh, the travelers want to contribute more to the local economies. So we will develop products that uh, can satisfy uh, these needs and expectations. So well-being is very, uh, actually part of the branding, but we want to upgrade, you know, increase the value of this well-being because uh, this is uh, unvaluable, but we will put some value. That's also, you know, the uh, the objective of marketing, you know, create value, capture value and retain value. And of course, make the working in tourism and hospitality something uh, exciting and desirable. We need to retain the talent. We need to build the talents too. I mean, those sound like great aims and I think it's something that, you know, the Southeast Asian region really needs to, to be able to recover. The thing that strikes me that may be a challenge for you, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is that between all of the different countries in, in the Greater Mekong, there's inevitably going to be different rates of recovery for tourism between them. So how do you see that that playing out? Uh, definitely. You know, uh, we need, uh, we are a regional DMO. So at the end of the day, we cannot uh, favor one country over one uh, Another. However, we can create models, we, we can create good practices or even best practices to share. It's just like in a family, you know, uh, if you are stronger or if you have more knowledge, you need to share it. So this is something that we will definitely promote. 
cooperation instead of competition, collaboration. Uh, we want to have a positive approach, at least myself as a CEO, I really want to focus on this uh, you know, positive approach. Of course, competition will always exist, but that's the work of uh, each individual country, you know, national strategies. But the Mekong region needs to show the example as an exemplary regional destination. Mekong should be a, an exemplary tourism board, you know, a regional tourism board. We need to show that synergies, cooperation can work. And it's a matter of, uh, you know, shared uh, opportunities and shared benefits as well, you know, we cannot uh, um, promote some benefits only for one country. So we need to care about uh, those who don't have the same skills and uh, conditions. So that will also part of our job, you know, to uh, to make sure that we are fair and that uh, everything we do can benefit the all six. Um, countries, but also our members. This is very important to notice that we have individual members and uh, corporate members that we call partners. And we have also a strong focus on the micro and SMEs because they are those who need us most, but we are not exclusive. That's the very important word for this nation, Mekong, inclusiveness. And I know that it's not very easy. It's uh, easy on the paper, uh, but we need to show things. You know, we need to put it in action. And for you personally, Cathy, taking up this new role, how much will you be traveling around the Mekong region? And then how much will you be traveling internationally to promote this new project? Uh, that will be part of my job, you know, to, to travel extensively, to spread the word. You know, I am, uh, like Yen said, the face of uh, Destination Mekong. The interesting thing is that, yes, I'm a half uh, European, half Asian. So sometimes the, the messages can be spread more easily. So, of course, my uh, intention is to, is to travel as extensively as possible. Uh, of course, I need at some point to stay in, uh, in front of my computer uh, sometimes. But also, as the DMO, we need to attend those uh, travel mart. I need also, you know, uh, to... Uh, spread the world through uh, conferences and uh, through, uh, um, you know, uh, like your podcast. Uh, I need to uh, to talk. I need uh, to uh, show my face, not only show my face because uh, it's, uh, the interest is very limited, but also, you know, to uh, meet people, to meet people and engage them. That's the most important. And I know that this first year uh, of Destination Become, even if we exist since 2017, will be very crucial. You know, we need to build a trust. So it's the same uh, mission as branding, you know, trust is uh, of utmost importance. So I'm open to any invitation to talk and to uh, make presentation about this nation Mekong and to, uh, yeah, to participate uh, in the global effort, you know, uh, for tourism recovery, restart and reform. Perfect. And Cathy, where can um, our listeners find out more about Destination Mekong if they're interested in joining or, or they have opportunities for you to partner with them? Uh, yes, they can visit our website. You know, we made a lot of effort to make our website um, more simple, more accessible, more engaging. So I would say that's the best uh, option to, to have a, a first um, glimpse of what we are doing. Uh, but um, very open and accessible. People can contact me and uh, I always reply uh, all the requests for more information or for calls or even for meeting uh, even better so yes our website or social media and yes uh, listening to your podcast i guess will also give them a 
information about Destination Mekong. Perfect. And we will add the, the website, which is destinationmekong.com, onto the show notes as well. So that brings us to a close of our special interview um, with Kathy on Greater Mekong. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yet meanwhile, as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every episode we've ever produced, including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each one. And if you do tune in via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please remember to give us a quick rating and a review, as that helps other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today. And we'll both return next week to talk more travel and tourism in Southeast Asia. We look forward to talking to you then. 